Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. And just to catch you up, in the last chapter, Jesus cleared the temple. And how do you think the the religious people felt about Jesus? Not too happy. So when you roll into this next chapter, there are like five questions. Um, Four of them are people trying to trap Jesus. The first one is a question that Jesus has for the people because he begins with a parable. And it's a serious parable. He, He begins by talking about a landowner who goes out and he plants a vineyard, and then he digs a wine press, and then he rents it out. So this was something that happened in the day. You would have land, and you would rent it out, and then you'd make some money off the land and the people who who tilled the soil or took care of the grapes and the vines. They would make money too. And so he sent back people to collect the money. And the first person he sends back, they kill. And the second person they send back, they kill. And so on and so on. And finally, the owner of the land, hmm, there we go. Finally, the owner of the land says, I got one more person to send. I will send my beloved son. And he sent him. Don't you love Jesus telling the parable? Does Jesus know how God feels about him? How does God feel about you? Do you ever call yourself beloved or do you hate yourself? See, he's like, I will send a beloved son. And he sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and they killed him and they threw him out into the vineyard. Now, in this chapter, there's all these questions. This is the only question he asks and answers himself. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? I think Jesus um, is preaching judgment to these people, hoping that they'll repent hoping that they'll see the handwriting on the wall. And and then he quotes the Old Testament, and he says, have you not read the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected? By the way, in Hebrew, the word for stone is eben. The word for son is ben. So he's talking about the son that's rejected, and then he quotes this scripture, and there's like a play on words, the eben, the stone that the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And I think Jesus, is, this is grace for the people. He's like, please hear this and repent and turn to me. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And they left and him and went away. So here, they don't, they're not happy with Jesus for cleansing the temple. And then Jesus starts teaching, and he's poking the bear, isn't he? He's telling them more. They're not happy with him, and he's, he's upset about it. But I had to ask myself, what does this say to me? 
I mean, to those people, they missed the Messiah. They missed Jesus. They are killing the Son of God. Jesus is saying, you're going to be judged for that. What does it say to me? And I was thinking, God created everything. And so much of life is a gift. But do you ever take so much of your gifts for granted? Do you ever wake up grumpy in the morning? The wives are like, no, I let him sleep, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, sorry about that. Sorry, you guys. Um, yeah, but, but because sometimes you wake up, and I have to do this. I have to go, stop. Start giving thanks. Do you ever give thanks for the internal combustion engine? You know what I mean? And your cars, can you imagine the, the seats in our cars are so comfortable you're not riding on a horse. You're not riding on a board, right? Like your seats might have lumbar support or heat. Or I rented a car this summer and it had air. It cooled. Like, whoa, this is great. I got cooling and air. You know, like our, the things that we are blessed with are phenomenal, right? If you can walk and talk, you know, semi-pain-free, or if you're in pain, then your body's working telling you that something's wrong. When was the last time you gave thanks for pain? Right? I mean, there's so many things, and I think God created everything. He's entrusted it to us, and we start going, yep, 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 I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, and our hearts get smaller. Be grateful for who you are and whatever you have. Everything you have is a gift from God. You can't bring anything with you. And my mind went to Romans 1. It says, for though, although they knew God, they neither glorified or worshiped him or gave Thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts darkened. There's a connection with thanksgiving and darkness. Isn't that interesting? And when you and I are people who go, Oh Lord, you have given us so much. You know what helps me give thanks is short term mission trips. Short-term mission trips many times do a lot more for you than they do for others. But if you've ever been in different places, this is, I think, 10 years ago, Michelle, when we went. Is she here? Let's see. Yeah. Remember when we went? And um, I love this one because the satellite dish is on that house, <laughs> right? But how do you get internet, right? I mean, and, 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 but this is somebody's house. How does that compare to your home? Now, I don't want to be like, oh, Lord, you know, they have it so much worse. But in a sense, many times... We want something bigger or better, but the thing you have is so wonderful in comparison to so much that's going on around the world. This is a kitchen. She's preparing a meal for us. Um, how's that compare to your kitchen? And I remember being in some homes where they cooked, and there was a gap with the roof, and so the smoke would just go up, and you could look up and just see all the soot in the, the roof and then the smoke would blow out kind of that gap in the area. And here's a front yard. Frank is climbing. Frank, you remember climbing up that hill? We're visiting. This is their front yard. How do you get your groceries into your house? You climb a mountain, right? You know, and they really wanted everybody to have a chair, and they hardly had enough chairs for it. But we were sitting in these little kid chairs, remember that? And, and we were giving out audio Bibles to people who had never heard the scriptures in their own language. Because the people there, many of them don't speak Spanish. They speak their native language, and they don't write or read their native language. So this ministry creates audio Bibles in their native language. 
And look, because Michelle was pregnant at the time, we got to stay one night or two nights in a hotel. Yes. And I was very thankful that Michelle was pregnant because we would have had to have been on air mattresses or, or in some other kind of places maybe with more bugs. Remember how big that spider was that we saw in that? But this is, um, this, yeah, this is the hotel that we stayed at. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, when I think about stuff like this, oh, uh, how's your bathroom? Um, you got to take the water from that bucket and pour it into the toilet to flush it. Your toilet paper goes in the bucket next to it. This is in a home, somebody's home, a private home. Um, yeah, do you ever wish you had a better bathroom? So, I mean, when was the last time you got in the shower and said, Lord, I have hot running water, right? You know, I have a shower, right? I mean, there's, there is so much, our hearts, it's like the more we get, the more we want, the more we're not thankful. And the new thing that we get only captures us for a little while and then we're hungry for more. And somehow there's this connection with darkness and lack of worship and praise and thanksgiving to God for all the gifts he gave us. When was the last time you were excited to have a Bible? So this woman, she's like in her 90s. Everything she owns is right there because she told me, I'm old, I'm going to die soon, and I have all my possessions here so when I die, they don't have to deal with a lot of them. She was this sweet lady. This is the first time she ever heard the Bible in her own language. And the book of Romans was her favorite book. She was so happy. The smile to listen to the book of Romans. Joey, you remember this? Yeah, and this lady is like, you know, you're like, oh, maybe I could read the Bible today. No, this lady is rejoicing in hearing the scriptures in her own language. It's beautiful. I think the entitlement can creep into our hearts and we don't appreciate it. And then the, the chapter goes on and I want to tell two of the stories where they tried to trap Jesus. They're mad at him. They want to arrest him. They want to kill him. He told that parable. And then they start trying to trap him. And the first is with politics. Now, if you want to argue, just bring up religion and politics, right? And they did the same thing with Jesus. It said, and they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. I love this. You want to trap somebody, butter them up, right? They're like, oh, Jesus is going to get a big head, right? And then we'll stick it to him. Um, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or to not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, why is this question difficult? Well, I think it was 6 AD when Rome took over the, the area where Jesus is. And uh, they started a tax. It was the head tax. So this wasn't a tax on commerce, right? It, it, it wasn't a, a, a tax on roads. You use this road. You need to pay a tax. No, this was a tax for just being under Roman rule. Not citizenship, under Roman rule. If you have a big family and you're poor, everybody had to pay a, a day's wage 
for each child, a poor person's day wage, a denarius. And so the Pharisees were against this tax, right? They were meticulous in observing the law. They hated Roman occupation. So their answer would be, no, you don't pay the tax. But it's interesting that they would put these two groups together, right? Because the Herodians, they're the people who were like, they supported Herod Antipatus whatever, the Jewish political leader. So this guy, they're like, we're, we're all for Roman rule. We got favor, we got money in Roman rule. We, we like what's going on. We like how they're treating us. You need to pay your taxes. So they come to Jesus, and if he answers, don't pay your taxes, he's gonna please one group, but the other group will wanna kill him, right? And if he says, do pay your taxes, he's gonna please one group, but the other group will wanna kill him. Like, he, he's in a no-win situation, Knowing their hypocrisy, he says to them, why do you put me to a test? Bring me a denarius. Let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they say to him, Caesar. And Jesus said to them, render, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. Isn't that beautiful? And they marveled at that. Why? Why? Well, if Betty stood up, I'd go, whose image is on Betty? Well, she was created in God's image. Give to God the things that are God's. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and now here's what we don't know. Here's what the coin said. Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of divine Augustus. The one side called Caesar the son of God. The other called him the highest priest. So your coin, he is the son of God, the highest priest, whose whose likeness is on this. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. So what's Jesus' view on taxes? Should we pay them or shouldn't we pay them? I think Jesus would say, hey, you, you get stuff from Caesar. You get roads. You get protection. You get stuff. Give back to Caesar. But don't make your ultimate allegiance to Caesar He is not the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. Your ultimate allegiance is not political. It's to to our Lord, right? Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. Our ultimate allegiance is to God. You see, with Jesus and politics, there's a clash of two kingdoms, Right? There's, two, there's a clash of two kingdoms that go on. Jesus' kingdom and the kingdom of this world. And I'm going to just kind of channel Tim Keller in this whole section. Luke 6, uh, 20 through 26, if you have a chance to read it, he repeats it. He repeats the same concept, just the opposite. Um, but Luke 6 says this, and Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you when you are poor. For the kingdom, uh, for yours is the kingdom of God. See, in the kingdom of God, poverty and poorness, this is something to be blessed. But in the world, what do we say you're blessed if you have? Power. Power, right? And blessed are you when you're hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Well, a hungry person isn't a very successful person, are they? 
See, in the kingdom, Jesus talks about blessed are the hungry because they're going to be satisfied. But in the world, we wouldn't call them blessed. We would say blessed are the successful. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you weep now, for you shall laugh. So there are kingdom people who are weeping now and suffering now because they're not worshiping comfort. They're giving up something that is comfortable for the sake of others and for the sake of the kingdom. And last, blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. The world likes recognition, right? Recognition, you know, I am somebody. The world values power, comfort, success, and recognition. And Jesus frees us to value grief, sacrifice, weakness, and exclusion. I mean, who wants that stuff, right? And yet, look at this. Good things seen as blessings, like beauty and power and comfort and success and recognition, but received without faith in God will become curses. And hard things seen as curses, like weakness Deprivation, loss, rejection, but received with faith in God will turn into blessings. Do you see this whole upside down kingdom? It's this whole other way of seeing things. You see, we can summarize it this way there are good things of this world, the hard things of this world, the best things of this world is God's love, His glory, His holiness, His beauty. And the Bible teaches us that the road to the best things is not through the good things, but it's usually through the hard things. As Jesus himself shows us in Philippians, there's no message more contrary to the way the world understands life or more subversive to its values. Does that make sense? Now here, this might make it clearer. Uh, in uh, Tim Keller's book, Hope in Times of Fear, he says, let's do a thought experiment. Assemble some businesses and political consultants who have gone to all the best schools, who have worked for the best companies and campaigns, whose clients have seen the most success. Bring them together and pose this question. I have a goal. My long-term goal is to be the most influential and famous person who has ever lived. Pretty, pretty big goal, isn't it? Centuries from now, I want to have whole civilizations built on my teachings, and I want to be at the center of the lives of hundreds of millions of people. What should I do to accomplish this? Assuming the world's greatest consultants took you seriously, what would they say? And would it be anything like this? Well, be born in obscurity... Avoid getting involved in any powerful political or economical or academic networks. Be tragically killed in your early 30s before you ever write a book. Of course, they would not give that counsel, but that's how Jesus did it. Do you see the upside-down kingdom at work in the, the life of Jesus? Now, what does this say for us as I consider this? Well, it says, what captures our heart? Because if our hearts are captured by the world's ways, Jesus said, don't love the world or the things of the world, right? There's something 
in our lives that want the things of the world, the power, the success, the beauty, and to somehow be defined by that. But when we let go of that and we go God's ways, we trust that as we, in a sense, die to that, there's something beautiful being birthed. I like what uh, Paul Tripp said. He said, the most horrible thing that ever happened became the most wonderful thing that ever happened. He says, be careful how you make sense of your life. What looks like a disaster may be the start of something new and beautiful. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, this is this, is this upside-down kingdom. This is this upside-down view at work in our lives even today. Well, then the Sadducees came to Jesus who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher... Moses wrote us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offering for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the fourth said, she's a black widow. No, I'm kidding. You know know what I mean? Like... Okay, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? You know, I love the insincerity. So you got, the beginning says the Sadducees came and they say there's no resurrection. And then they ask Jesus a question about the resurrection. Well, I mean, what's going on here? And you know why the Sadducees said there's no resurrection? Because they only held on to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, right? The first five books of the Old Testament. And they're they're like, well, we don't really see the resurrection in these first five books, so we don't believe in the resurrection. So it's kind of interesting. Well, what does uh, Jesus say to them? Is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. So he's telling these guys who have given their lives. I mean, these, these are like the lawyers. These are people who sit in on the Sanhedrin. These are the people who spend their lives studying Scripture. Right? They are steeped in it. And Jesus goes, you don't know the Scriptures. It's kind of beautiful. And you don't know the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing, because if you read this, you're like, wait, in heaven, we're just friends? Does that sound like better than earth? We're all in the friend zone, right? But, but I think it's so much deeper than this, because we don't really get what heaven is all about. There's something pretty powerful. You see, I think all marriages just point Anything in the best of marriages, any joy, any satisfaction in the best of marriages, just point to the marriage between Jesus and the church. And someday, when we, when we are embraced by Jesus, we will say, I have waited for this my entire life. One guy said, I see marriage like little children wearing um, a wedding dress and a uh, groom's outfit, a tuxedo, and they're too big for them. And he said, I see marriage as growing into it, and when they get to heaven, they're fully grown into their clothes, right? I, one, one guy said this, this, this man who has um, 
he's same-sex attracted, and he's like, hey, I'm not going to live into my sexual attraction. I'm going to devote my life to Jesus. I'm going to deny myself. Why? Because any marriage on earth is just like a trailer to the movie. See, the the movie is the substance, and I'm going to get the real substance of marriage. I may be foregoing the trailer, but I am getting the real thing. Don't you worry. I'm not missing out on the best thing, and it's worth waiting for. Because we we see here, then I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In heaven, there's going to be this fulfillment and beauty that we have longed for our whole life. And and he says, "You, you don't know the power of God. Because so many times people think, well, this is only for Star Trek fans, by the way. So many people think, you know, heaven is just like taking who we are now, and then we just keep living on forever. And yet I think it's going to be so, so, so much more. I mean, I was talking to Mark about this last Saturday night, two Saturdays ago. And Mark was talking about something he had been reading where Thomas didn't believe Jesus was resurrected. And he goes, unless I put my hand in his side, unless I put my finger in his wounds, you know, I won't believe. And then Jesus comes and goes, put your hand in my side. Now, can we think for a minute about the resurrection of Jesus? How, what kind of body do you have where you can just slide your hand inside and it's not a wound anymore? It's a, what, I don't know. And I don't think it's put his little finger in there. I think Jesus is like, you can put your hand inside. I mean, what kind of resurrected body is that where Jesus has wounds but not bleeding? He could walk through walls. He yeah, and so I think so many of us, when we think about eternal life, things are going to be so different. The lion will lay down with the lamb, the little child can stick its hand in a nest of snakes and not get bit. Our mindset is going to be blown. No shame, no sorrow, no mourning, no tears. You, you won't have this kind of self, the, the, the stuff that makes us think so much of ourselves will be gone. It'll be this beautiful thing. Now, if that's true, then how we live here has a big impact on there. And this is where we get confused about the kingdoms, and this is where we can really get messed up because Jesus saw the big picture. Jesus is like, life is short, and I want you not to lay up treasures on earth where moths and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And sometimes I say to people who have lost loved ones that you now have some treasure in heaven. But what is Jesus talking about here? He's saying you take your money and your time and your talents, and you put them all in stuff for you and your security and your comfort and your, right? And, and everything is all about you, but you're forgetting that this is preliminary, right, to that. That there's this unbroken cord for those who have eternal life in you, and what you do with your finances here impacts 
What goes on over here? And I want you to remember the, re the resurrection, the eternal life is something that goes on and how you live your lives here can invest here and it takes faith, but it's what the kingdom of God is about. Years ago, I, I spent uh, 10 weeks in England studying and then traveled around the continent for like five weeks on the, and at a URL pass and went from like England, down to Austria, down to Rome, uh, uh, Switzerland, Barcelona, France, and then spent Christmas up in Stockholm. I don't even know if that's on the map, you know. Just a great time, and I had a backpack, and I love my backpack. So the next year, I, I come back to school, and I have my backpack my senior year, and I love that backpack. And I, I felt like God said, give your backpack to your roommate. I'm like, no. <laughs> this is my backpack. See that ribbon? That was given to me by a little girl in, in Switzerland. And she was so cute. And then like, tied it on my, look, it's like my, I love that backpack. I didn't give it away. I never used it again. The, the inside kind of, kind of rotted away. You know, it gets sticky, the, the, whatever. I never used it again, ever. And I wonder if on the other side of eternity, there aren't backpacks. And God is saying, hey, I, I don't want you to store up. And we're, we're maybe afraid or maybe, you know, whatever it is. And, and we're, we're just holding stuff because it's about us and our, our security and our fear. And, and the Lord's like, no, no let, it, let it go. Invest in the, the future. Because we follow someone who held nothing back, right? Our world, you can have a revolution, and there are many revolutions, but guess what? The new people in power will be all about power. They'll be all about success. They'll be all about comfort and recognition, right? You see these revolutions that take place, but they don't change the world's values. And Jesus, the King of Kings, says... I'm going to give up all power. I'm going to give up all success. I'm going to give up all comfort. And I'm going to give up recognition so much that my father won't recognize me. And I'm going to do it for you. And my followers will bear their cross because just as I rose from the grave, just as I humbled myself and was exalted, so you humble yourself and you will be exalted. Pray with me, Lord, we can't do this without your spirit and your word. We're, we're fearful creatures holding on to backpacks, so to speak. And we would like you to move us so that our lives would matter for time and eternity. And Lord, we believe your gospel is the power of salvation and sanctification. And so help us to fix our eyes on you. Become more beautiful in our eyes, Lord. Become more beautiful. Help us to see you. And help us to be thankful, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.